What's up, everybody? Welcome. It's the premiere episode on Rumble. We are here live. Hopefully, we no longer have to worry about shadow bands blocking us. We can't say what we want to say. We can't talk enough about cigars or the whiskey. We get to do it all now because we're here live on Rumble. So, welcome back to the show. Thank you for hopping over and joining us. I'm really excited about making this move, and I got a really special guest here this week that's a good friend of mine that I've been dying to get on this show. Welcome to the show, Sal. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate Absolutely, it. man. We've been, we've been trying to make this work, <laughs> but you travel as much as I get harassed about traveling. You travel 10 times more than I do. Yeah, no, it's two weeks here, two weeks in Sonoma uh, wine country. Not there drinking, but I'm there uh, working, but yeah. Just every other trip. Yeah, just every yeah, other trip. Yeah, when the wife comes down, then, then we <laughs> got to add some drinking in. Visit a few vineyards, new local spots you found. Oh, yeah. So we've got Sal with us today, and Sal is one of my favorite people to get invited over to his house. Sal is like probably the best host you've ever met in your life. I mean, he showed up today. Like I knew not to bring too much because like, you guys know what the table normally looks like. Two of these are mine. The rest is Sal. <laughs> Same thing with the cigars. There's food over here. I mean, like, the guy doesn't go anywhere unprepared. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's from the military days or what, but... I, you know what? I, I'm all about the experience now, right? Yeah. Great cigars, great bourbon, great wines, you know, great vacations, you know, great friends, you know, to, to, to share in the experience. And... If you have it, share it, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You can't take it with you. Yeah, you can't take it with you. Well, Sal, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, what your background is, where you're from, just so people can get to know Sal a little bit. Yeah, so I'm from the mean beaches of Hawaii and uh, Panama. No. <laughs> no, I was an Air Force brat, so, um, you know, traveled to Hawaii, you know, Panama, California, Germany. So I had a really great, you know, childhood, got the experience of the world, really, at a young age. Uh, and based on that, I actually joined the military uh, in the Army uh, six days after high school. I was already a delayed entry, but I went in. Um, and I wanted to do the latest and greatest computers and radar theory, so I went into what they call the uh, Hawk Missile System. Uh, it's called Home, uh, Home All the Way Killer. Um, so I did that for my first four years, uh, and then when it phased out, I went into the Patriot Missile System. Uh, got deployed overseas during, um, uh, you know, the war, right? <sighs> but, uh, and then after that, I was uh, moved over to uh, Army Space Command. I did what they call uh, Sibbers and uh, uh, DSP satellites using the uh, alert slash uh, JTAG system. Uh, after 20 years and 21 days, I retired. And uh, then I went into uh, uh, government service, working at uh, Raytheon Missile Systems. Uh, I retired from there. Uh, went to General Dynamics for a short tour, and now I'm with L3 Harris. So just never stop. <laughs> yeah, you definitely don't. I, I, we were joking earlier because <laughs> the last time you and I saw each other, you're like, I'm quitting, I'm done, I'm, I'm legit retired. I'm like, sweet, I can get him on the show now. And then I get back from vacation, and I'm hitting you up. I'm like, hey, are you good for the show? You're like, let me check my work schedule. I'm like, wait, what, what do you mean work schedule again? Like, you retired like two weeks ago. Like, oh, no, I'm already, I'm, I couldn't do it. I couldn't turn in my resignation. I had to stay. I yeah. couldn't, couldn't, couldn't fathom it. I, I think you're one of those people, too, that I, 
I don't know that retirement's ever going to be good for you because, like, I don't think you would, like, know what to do with yourself. I'm I'm being honest. I kind of worry about that. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm regimented, right? I get up early. You know, most people are not a morning person. Man, I either beat the alarm or as soon as it goes off, I'm up out of bed, right? I'm not one of those guys hitting snooze. Hey, the day's waiting, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Life is short. Let's go. Uh, You know, that's one of the things I love having these military guys on. And we've, we've got... We got several military guys lined up from special ops and everything else coming up. Like, it's something I'm really excited about. My family's always been very heavily military, and the life lessons from guys that served. Yeah, every show we've had someone on that served has been through the roof with views. Whether it was you know Naval Chief Petty Officer Tom Petty, um, Tom Petty. Oh man, <laughs> I just went Tom Petty on him. Oh. Tom Perry, let me get that right real quick. Um, you know, everybody was fascinated with that stuff. I mean, and I, I think it's because there's so much structure in, in the experiences people have because you do travel, you see the world, and you have that stuff ingrained in you that it, it just, common sense, it leads to so much of that, and you guys have all these experiences to share that I always really enjoy having those conversations. Yeah. Uh, I tell you what's really great about the military, uh, especially the Navy. They're amazing. They have all these traditions on the boat, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the blue nose, uh, the, you know, they got the uh, shell back. They got all these great, you know, uh, traditions they got to do on the boat, depending if they cross the equator, you know, they, you know they, when they go to different places, Antarctic, they yeah. do all these traditions, right? So it's just amazing, uh, the traditions you have. But um, I guess what I really, really loved about the, the military, it's regimented. There's a structure and hierarchy. Right, and you're trained in everything, right? Everything from you know uh, combat life saving to you know weaponry, uh, you know combat arms. So it's kind of nice that you learn a skill set. Um, in the civilian world, you have a, a program, you have a functional, you know, you have so many different areas. You report to so many different people, right? Yeah. I, I only went to one the person. Yes, sir. Right. I mean, that was it, right? Yeah. There's definitely. Before we get too far in here, too, because I always forget to do this, and you guys hammer me in the comments after the show, what are we drinking? What are we smoking? And this will translate right into Sal's biggest passions. (laughs) But today, we're starting off with the Nelson Alfonso Atabe Mysticos. This is exclusive to ICC. Not only does it meet every qualification of an Atabe that Nelson Alfonso does, but this cigar was rolled in 2012. So it is set for over 10 years before they boxed it, shipped it out. So it is an Atabay in its prime, now aged an additional 10 years. You can get these at Industrial Cigar Company in Frisco. I don't know how many of them are left. They pre-sold a bunch of boxes, but as of today, there are still some in the humidor, if you want those. Now, I'll let Sal talk a little bit about what he brought, because <laughs> Sal pretty much smokes nothing but Cubans, and that's how he rolls, and I've never been anywhere with Sal that he hasn't brought umpteen cigars for everybody to try oh, that yeah. he is super passionate about, so I'll let you tell them about these. Yeah, so this one here is the Partagas. It's the uh, Maduro number 1. Cut. Oh, great cigar. It's about a 2018. Uh, again, uh, another 2018, the uh, Series D um, from Partagas. Probably one of my favorite cigars. 
uh, other than the Siglio 2s from Cohiba, can't beat that cigar, right? Yeah. I, I really, really love those. And then I think my man over there is smoking a, a Juan... Uh, Juan Lopez. Juan Lopez. Juan Lopez. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Got a little fire over there, Biz? No, it's smooth. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's smooth. The fire's in the glass, which cool. Okay. That ain't fire. Well, we'll get to that. So we'll start with what Biz is drinking because he's the only one I think that's poured that so far. So I brought, well, what Biz is drinking is this Elijah Craig 18-year right here. Jay, I hope you're listening because I know that's one of your big <laughs> pours you love. Um, these are ones Sal brought. We'll get into this. This is a Weller Foolproof. This is a 1789 B-Pick. We'll talk about that a little bit later, too, for those of you that are bourbon connoisseurs. This is an Evan Williams 1783 small batch. This is what I am drinking currently. This is excellent. Um, so that's the Heroes release. So the Heroes release. This is 90 proof. Um, th this is excellent. Um, I don't know that I've ever had an Evan Williams that I would say was excellent until right now. Um, he also brought a McKenna Henry 10-year bottle and bond. Um, is this a 1789B pick? Too, no, no, it's not a 1789 pick. All right, yeah. just make sure. I have a Brent Elliott single barrel OBSV. I poured this before the show. This is hot as hell. <laughs> uh, I mean, I haven't had one light me up like this in a while. Um, this is a little over 120 proof. Most Four Roses single barrels don't get up there like that, but that is, that is legit. And then I brought this for my brother Dean. I hope he's listening tonight. and want to give him a little bit of shit. My brother's favorite, chicken cock. <laughs> this is a private cask, aged seven years. This is an excellent bourbon. We got this on a bourbon trip recently to Kentucky. So without any further ado, why don't you... Tell us how you started your bourbon journey, because you are one of the connoisseurs, and maybe you can go into 1789B a little bit. We had Randy on the show oh, Randy's several Randy years Blank. ago. Oh God, he's yeah. amazing. Uh, you know, just talk about Randy. You never, if you come across an individual like Randy Blank, you've such history about bourbon, uh, just a generous individual to begin with. Absolutely. Um, I mean, he's been, I mean, I, were you at the house? He had the 23-year-old yeah. uh, Pappy single barrel. I, I don't think he had that the time I was over here. I came over right after he had the show okay, with us. Right, yeah. oh my and gosh. we talked about the Pappy experience with him, <laughs> the Randy Van Blankel. Yeah, so 1789B is a, a phenomenal club. It's a small mm. group, right? We try to keep it very um, unique. And by that, it's a very long venting process. It almost took me about... Two and a half years to get into the club. It's like the skulls. Like, this is like Dead Poets Society. Like, <laughs> there's only like, what, 80 members? Uh, I think we're down to about 70 right now, but I think we're getting a few members okay. in. Okay. Um, and it's just not about bourbon, right? This yeah. is what I love about the group. Since I've been with the group, I've learned more about cooking, how to use CVs, how to do, you know, different types of, uh, you know, after you cook your brisket, put it in butcher paper, you know, let it so, uh, uh, add some. Uh, uh, maybe beer in there, let it soak, right? I mean, all these great recipes. Uh, cauliflower uh, from um, uh, Kevin down at the uh, Chop House, how to make this uh, incredible uh, uh, cauliflower mix he makes. Oh, it's about Armanac. Armanac. 
it, I would have never known about Armanac if it wasn't for this group, right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, they do rum, they do um, wines, they do uh, uh, cigars, they do cooking. I mean, it's just a host of, and travel, right? Yeah. Post your travel pictures, right? Give us, you know, great restaurants to go to, great places to stay, right? It's a community that just likes life and experience. And what I really like about the club, uh, no religion, no politics, right? Just yeah. keep it about the club and what we enjoy, life, right? Yeah. It's a life experience with this group. Um, and we've been doing some uh, weekend Zoom calls uh, for some taste blind tastings. And we've been doing what they call um, coffee and cigars on Sundays. Just get on, you know, just if you want to join the group, just grab your coffee, grab your cigar, sit on your patio and just talk, right? That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is like one of my top goals is to one day be able to be in 1789B. Like these, these guys are phenomenal dudes. Everybody that I've met that is a part of that group is absolutely amazing. Um, like you said, it's you guys don't just leave it as a typical bourbon club where you're doing these picks X amount of times a year, X, Y, Z. You guys keep it super limited, super tight vetting, real close-knit group that, like you said, shares life experiences. Yeah. I mean, I see the photos from the trips you guys go on. It's all phenomenal stuff. I mean, you guys truly are like an extended family that really supports each other put stuff out there, educates each other, and teaches each other about other life experiences. Yeah. I mean, the group's phenomenal. I mean, um, they'll, t they'll turn around and uh, they'll be part of another local club, and they say, hey, guys, we did this pick. Would you guys like a couple bottles here and there, right? They share. Guys yeah. will mule liquor from one location that has it to another location, right? Mm. Uh, I'm doing the same thing. Uh, the next revival uh, in Kentucky we go to, uh, instead of flying, I'm going to drive. And I've been picking up a bunch of Weller Special Reserve for the guys in the East Coast who can't get it, right? Yeah. And, you know, sell it to them at MSRP, right? There's no markup. Yeah. Right? It's share it. They can't get it. Bring it to them, right? Yeah. It's just a great, great club, man. That's awesome, man. So is that where your cigar journey started? Or um, did cigar journey start in the military? No, no. So the uh, cigar started... Um, with its club, right? It actually started as a cigar club, where it's okay. like 1789C. And then when they went to bourbon, a large group, they just transformed from a cigar club to a bourbon and then expanded from there, right? Okay. And um, uh, I got into it a little bit at first because the group smoked a lot of cigars. I did a little bit here and there, but meeting this group, my persona of the different types of tobacco, where they're grown and how they're rolled and the different types expanded and I fell in love with it right yeah and I learned so much about you know age your cigars right don't smoke young cigars so I have a huge 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 humidor and I got about 80 boxes in there and I just let them all age right I try to smoke around anything uh, right now about 2018 or yeah you know older yeah something about five years of age yeah. on it. you know you want to get that nicotine out you just want to get that flavor right profile right yeah you don't want that euphora that you get from smoking a young cigar right Absolutely. See, you. that's the other thing I love about hanging out with Sal is I learn something every time I hang out with Sal. Like the amount of knowledge you're able to drop on any one thing. And, it, and it's because of these groups and these things you involve yourself in, but it's, it's shared knowledge. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things I love about industrial cigars up here, too, is, you know, that's where I came in at, you know, knowing more about bourbon when they were young. And a lot of the guys up here, I knew nothing about cigars. You know, I like to smoke cigars. I bought some Cohibas on vacation. You know, like it was one of those <laughs> things. So 
being able to share and have that trade-off of knowledge and have people help you along your journey, whether it's with spirits or cigars, is always a huge plus. Uh, I, the group's phenomenal. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't know that much about wine, right? I mm-hmm. knew a little bit. Um, but these people post great uh, reviews on certain wines that I've never heard of. And I'll just go get a one or two bottles and see how it is. And if I like it, I'll buy some extra ones right now. So, I mean, it's been a great experience. I've, I have to say my life has really changed being part of this group. It really has. Yeah. I, I wish people could experience 1790 to be the way we do, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and I love the, the fact, you know, our group's not about flipping bottles, right? Yeah. It's one of the rules. We buy it, we drink it, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, <laughs> I just, one thing I wish was, I wish I was in the group earlier, right? You know, because they, ta- they would have taught me a lot of things like how the bourbon market grew and how it's gotten to the point where, I mean, you really, you got to stockpile bourbon if you want to drink it later, right? It's not going to be on the shelf anymore. It's, <laughs> I, you know, I just wish I would have been earlier and got some of the stuff I really liked in the old days. I'm in the same boat. I mean, you've seen my bar in my house. I mean, I have so much stuff because I bought stuff from craft distillers and all this stuff, just trying to find unique things. And then as I honed in on what I really like, now I have a plethora of stuff. I, I, I'm serious. I've joked about this, but I'm literally going to have like a bourbon garage sale. Like I'm just going to invite groups of like five to 10 people over, come have some pours and buy some damn bottles. <laughs> Whether they're open, closed, like there is... Forty percent of my collection is for sale. Like, somebody can come buy whatever it is they like, they want because I want it. Like you said, I want to stockpile more of the things that I really, really truly enjoy, and cut out some of the other stuff. You know, like there are a handful of bourbons that I truly, really like. No matter what bottle of it I buy, you know, a Buffalo Trace single barrel is almost always going to be good and not suck you know four roses almost oh i mean i just bitched about one being hot (laughs) but you know stuff like that that you know just you find those lanes and those profiles of what you really like and enjoy and just go for it at first you have like fomo and you know your fear of losing out and you know you're like you Try to buy, everything. you're buying two of this. Oh, so and so did this pick. All right, I need two of those. Oh, I can only get one. All right, I'm buying one just because the lines are. This must be great because everybody wants this. That isn't always the case. And I think that's what's nice about a group like 1789B because there's not so many people and opinions involved as well. You guys all know what each other's profiles are. That I agree. And you can pick stuff within that profile. Whereas when you get to one of these larger groups and you're trying to do 500, 2,000, 10,000 people, you can't pick stuff that everybody's going to like. Or, nor can you pick something that everybody can even have one bottle of. So you get to a point where there's diminishing returns there. You know, you guys go buy a barrel that produces, you know, 280 bottles or so. Everybody can get three bottles. And if a couple don't like it, some people can get extras. But it allows you more opportunity. And I think that's a beautiful thing of how you guys operate. Well, it's kind of nice. You can say to yourself, I'll just go ahead and open one because I got one in the bunker. Right. Mm -hmm. It allows you that. Instead of trying to be like, I remember how good it was, but I don't want to open this one because I only yeah. have one. It's kind of nice to have one or two, right? Mm-hmm. It really, really is, right? Yeah. 
Well, let's uh, let's dive into a story that I think really kind of lets people know more about you and the kind of person you are and what's kind of helped you evolve. So to speak. I mean, it's what I, it's one of the essential stories I remember you tell me when I first really got to know you. Uh, probably, the, I've always been a workaholic. You know what you want to talk about yeah. already. So I've already, right. I'm a workaholic, right? Um, yeah. I usually get to work at six o'clock, six ten. You know, I eat my lunch at my desk. Um, you know, leave at you know five thirty, whatever six. Yeah. But when I was working in Tucson at the Raytheon facility there, um, I'm just at my desk. It's about lunchtime, and all of a sudden. I hear one of my coworkers scream, right? And I was like, wow, that's kind of weird. So I, I get out of my cubicle, I go to her, to hers, and she goes, oh my God, Fred killed over, right? And I literally turn around and Fred's in his chair and literally flipped it over, which is kind of hard with those rolling chairs. Yeah. And um, I'm a big guy, right? Picking up dead weight and getting him out of that chair. I mean, he's not helping you, right? He's, he's literally out, he's not breathing. So I pick him out of his chair, lean his head back, start doing CPR, right? And I brought him back, right? And it was amazing, his eyes turned blistering red when you're not breathing. I, I was amazed how blood red, as soon as he starts breathing, they start turning white again, right? And then all of a sudden he stopped breathing again. So in nine minutes, I had to bring him back seven times, right? And then finally somebody brought the defibrillator over, we put that on and then shocked him back, right? Uh, and then on the way back to the hospital, the medics, paramedics finally got there, um, he tw tw twice more he flatlined flatlined right so um, but this amazing is he doesn't have any cognitive issues no motor skill issues uh, I mean he's great right uh, Fred yeah. and so it opened my eyes to the fact that I could be gone tomorrow right I mean I've been working so hard saving so much and I figured you know what that's over for me. So that's when I started buying great bourbons, wines, cigars, sharing with people because I want now in my life from here on out is nothing but the experience. Weekends, barbecuing with friends, sitting out, smoking cigars, catching a game or golf, whatever it is. It's now for me, it's all about that, right? I won't say money doesn't matter, but yeah, it, I've got plenty, right? So that's not gonna be an issue for me going forward. So that's why I wanna share everything. Um, I took him, to, him and his partner to Napa. I took him vacation with us to Belize. And I still remember in Belize, he said, why do you keep you know, paying for us to go with you on these vacations and everything? I said, I said, you saved my life, right? And he said, uh, I think it's the other way around. And I said, nope. I was a workaholic and all I cared about was you know, getting things done, you know, not failing, you know, saving money. You know. And after that, my whole mentality, my whole regimen of life changed because I could be gone tomorrow. I could, you know, get hit by a bus, you know, that old saying, right? Yeah. And so for me, from here on out, cooking food, you know, bringing, you know, appetizers to today, right? You know, yeah. those little nuances that just make this, the event special, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, it's something I've admired about you since I met you. And it's something I, I try to keep at the front of my mind is that story and, and you as an example of how you live your life because you truly don't let a day pass that, you know, anything goes unnoticed or that you're not giving it your 110% or, you know, making sure that you're not so caught up in 
the day-to-day stuff that doesn't matter yeah. at I, the end of the day. That's what I love about 1790B on Fridays around uh, the East Coast does it, I think, at 3. We do it at uh, 3.30. We do it at 2.30. Evening cocktail and cigars on Friday. They'll have a little podcast, a little uh, Zoom call. Uh, the coffee on Sundays, the blind tastings. Yeah. I try to make as many of these events as I can, right? Because it helps me connect. It helps me decompress, right, with the people I enjoy being around. Yeah. It's just a great outlet. Right. And again, this is what the club offers its members. Right. It's just a great venue to and it, some of the members, some are members, some are non-members, some are guests. Right. It's just a great forum. Right. How have you found the balance of that with your wife? Because you and your wife have an amazing relationship. <laughs> your wife, Kathy, is another one of my favorite people. And uh, I think that's important to talk about, too, and like how that ties in with everything. So uh, I'm being honest. I'm, I'm so blessed to have a woman that's technically independent. Right. Yeah. Smart, hardworking, uh, manages the finances, you know, uh, takes care of the household. Uh, you know, when I was deployed a couple times, handled all the uh, family and friends information, getting it all out there, how I was doing. Um, it's great to have that kind of support, right? Because it helps you focus on your job and not worry about the distractions, right? And you can do good, right? Yeah. So she's always been in my corner. And, you know, having that kind of uh, relationship where she's independent, where she can do, make decisions on her own and not have to, you know, say, can I do this, Sal? Is that okay? Was this? She does those things, right? Yeah. And nine times out of ten, she's perfect, right? Out of the barrel, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of nice. And, you know, she knows I've worked hard my whole life. And if I want to buy expensive box of cigars, some bourbon, uh, it's amazing as I've been at work and I'll get a, a photo, dink, do you need any of this? <laughs> she's, at the, she's at, you know, Total wine or specs. Do you yeah. need any of this? You know, it's kind of cool, man. So yeah. she supports my habits. So. She, she's seen the stuff on your bar wall, and she's like, oh, I'm going to play the innocent little wife. That, uh, Hey, do you have anything interesting that I could buy for my husband today? <laughs> I mean, I see that box of Weller Foolproof or Blanton's that you just had pop in back there. Yeah, that's always a good card to play. I know. When you can. Send the wife in first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What do, you, what do you recommend I go for next? I'm going to let you pick. Uh, I would do the Weller Foolproof. All right. We'll yeah. go with the 1799 BP. Oh, my gosh. All right. Oh, man. These never disappoint. Uh, they don't, man. Um, I mean, that Evan Williams was amazing. Like, I, I normally, I, I don't think I can ever say that I had an uh, Evan the Williams. The Evan Williams single barrel. Uh, now that it's only a Kentucky release. Yeah. Um, I used to love just, it's 28 bucks. It was a great, yeah. easy sipper. Right. Nothing special, special. Right. But just a nice, easy drinker. Right. And what's so funny was the first time I ever had that was in Kentucky at a um, uh, event my company was hosting. And at the bar, that's the only thing they had behind the other than Jack Daniels. Right. Jim yeah. Bain. And I said, no, I'll try that. And I fell in love with it from that moment on. Right. OK. Yeah. So but sadly now it's only a Kentucky release. Right. It happens. The good stuff usually gets limited in some way, shape, or form, or they find a way to narrow it down and make it harder to get. Yeah, so uh, any viewers out there, if you see this bottle, do not let it go by. I'm telling you what, it is phenomenal. It's, uh, it's $19 for the 750 It's like 28 bucks for the, uh, you know, the handle. You know, Don't let it go. I'm telling you what, uh, I, picked, I only found three in Indiana, and then I found two up in Oklahoma, two handles. 
And I got them in retail, right? So it's always You haven't great. found any here in Texas? Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stuff like that just doesn't seem to fly by down here. Like somehow it still gets yeah. on everybody's radar. Yeah. You have to travel yeah. to find some of that stuff. Well, you know, so if I was, when the store I was in, you know, everybody's looking for something special, right? They're like, oh, there's nothing here. And they left, right? I'm like, I'll go ahead and take those two that you best passed by. You know, yeah. they're looking for the taters, right? You know what I yeah. mean? But That's the tater effect, man. It happens to everybody. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you can find it, it's great. But, oh, my gosh. I mean, for 20, uh, 28 for a handle, you know, 19. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's amazing. So what are you – what are – what would you say is some of the best advice or life lesson that you had in the military? You know, uh, when I first got in, my platoon sergeant, you know, I was a private. And the first thing he told me is volunteer for everything. I was like, what? <laughs> he goes, no, volunteering, right? I volunteer to be an armor, you know, NBC weapon specialist, right? I mean, you became more rounded, well-rounded in the military and your experiences, right? Um, when they had deployments, I'd volunteer to go, right? Yeah. I mean, it, being the guy that volunteers, they can count on you, right? It opens doors for you, right? So uh, eventually, uh, when I got, when I made E7, um, Sergeant First Class, uh, assignment came up to go to Army Space Command, right? And it was really great. I got hand-selected, right? It's very, very limited. There was only nine people at, for that one unit I was going to. And the best part about it was, I was in charge, no officers in my detachment out of Vandenberg, right? There was only nine of us, and it was great. That's awesome. Yeah. So How does that carry over into your civilian life? Uh, again, very regimented. I'm, I am data-oriented. I mean, I create all these spreadsheets. I keep track of all my metrics, right? Uh, I try to do what they call forecasting, see what my future is going to be, try to mitigate issues ahead of time. The military teaches that, right? You mm -hmm. want to reverse plan, see what the end result is, uh, and then look if there's any milestones in between, if there's going to be any uh, deviations to that for your planning, right? Yeah. Do I need to adjust fire, as they say, right, uh, to get to a certain point? If I have an issue, will I do this or this, right? Uh, it, it helps you plan, right? A lot of people just, they're tactical. They only try to fix the firefighting mode, right? They just want to fix then it Then and now. now. Yeah, right. I'm more, look at the end result where I want to be. How do I get there, Right. Very, very good strategy. Uh, that seems to be repeated a lot from very successful people that have been on this podcast, that having that very defined, developed picture in your mind of what that goal or end result is, and then the whole process there. And then I seem to see a lot of commonality on the people that are able to stay in that moment and enjoy that journey because each step of that journey is getting to that picture that they're holding on to, but taking that mindset to reverse engineer it, not just set that goal, this is what I'm gonna do, and day by day I'm gonna do this, but like completely reverse engineering it, seeing it from the finish all the way back to, well, all right, well, here's where I am now. That, that seems to be a very crucial thing that you can apply it to everything, right? Everything from yeah. your job to finance, right? If I want to get to this much, you know, uh, in retirement, you know, nest egg or whatever, you know, if I'm not getting these returns, look at, assess this, you know. Uh, what's amazing about it, I can't believe a lot of people don't know what dividend stocks are, large cap, mid cap. 
you know, what an I-bond is. I'm just amazed um, today's young investors don't have a clue. They just said, oh, I'm in a 401, I've got this mutual fund, right? And I, I understand, you know, companies don't offer individual stocks for certain things, right? Yeah. But, uh, but there's other venues out there that people don't even look at, right? Yeah. And um, I'm just surprised that, you know, they just say, I'm just putting my money in there, let it grow. It's, it's true. And we've had, we've had a lot of wealth strategists, financial advisors and stuff on the show as well. And each of them have completely different outlooks. They have some similar, some different, and they all have their strategies in, in play. How, how did you educate yourself on those things that you're talking about that you're surprised that others don't? So what steps did you take and how did, how did you get so educated on those uh, so, things? So uh, at a young age, I've been investing since I was 20. Right. Mm -hmm. So in the military, we didn't make very much money. My first paycheck in the military was $900 for the month. I was like, yep. <laughs> there you go. And, but the, I have one rule back then. It was pay myself first, meaning that pay my bills, right? You know, all your, your mortgage, you know, your uh, car payments, insurance, everything. But I always made sure I invested, right? And I kept my nest egg, a little bit of safety margin money put away for emergencies, but I always kept investing, kept investing, kept investing, right? And that was the goal. I had to pay myself that money to invest, right? And then after that, I started learning about uh, different types of stocks, you know, the returns. Um, uh, all self-taught? All self-taught, yeah, all self-taught, okay. right? And probably the best thing I did was, uh, there was, at the time, Fidelity uh, came out with a um, young investor brochure that came out talk about cost averaging stocks, um, looking at uh, trending in markets, right? They always tell you to cost average, right? Um, and I always looked at the indicators. Probably the best thing I ever did was, remember the big crash about 10, 12 years ago when the market really tanked down? Uh -huh. to, was it 70 something, 7,000 or something like that? Yeah. So I had pulled my money out around 12. I waited till it dropped, or I was all cash. And I went right back in when all, this, all the money was low, right? Little risky but it paid off huge, right? Yeah. But I just, cause one of the rules is cost average, right? But when you're losing, you know, 90, $120,000, you know, in the market drops, I'm like, I don't want that kind of risk. So I pulled all mine in cash. And then as soon as the market tanked, I put it all back in. So now, you know, rode it all the way back up, right? So it's paid huge dividends for me. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Like. Seeing how people look at those things and how they individually decide to attack those things and plan for them was instead of panicking, you went for another plan. Like you had a plan B. Yeah. Like even though it says get out, whatever, you didn't let it hit rock bottom, you pulled as it dropped. I mean, and I'm sure even pulling then, you had had a significant drop to get you to that point where it was like, do I cut my ties now or do I keep going? You cut your ties and said, hold on, I'm just going to pull this. I'll find something else or I'll wait for that other moment. And then when it dropped, then you re-engaged. Yeah. And that, that allows you that growth opportunity. Yeah. Well, so like example, I have a couple of stocks. You know, you, you lost a $3 a share, right? Mm -hmm. I just bought more shares. So now I cost average between, you know, $16 a share and 23 now my my hurt is less and now i'm getting more dividends right because i own more stock yeah so i'm getting a benefit of that plus i got a price break for buying additional shares right i just wish people would do the analysis right don't it's not saying for everything go and buy additional shares you've got to do some research on future growth 
you know, and uh, issues. I can tell you, I'm signing up for Sal Financial <laughs> 101, and uh, I'm going to bring over the cigars and some more bourbon, and uh, yeah, we're going to have to definitely continue this conversation too. Yeah. Um, what were there any regrets or things that you didn't get to do in the military that you really wanted to do? Because, like, I know with my grandfather, when he retired from the Navy, there was only like one sea he did not get to travel down, and he could have said he'd been all the way around the world. And unfortunately, when I finally was in a position where I could have like bought him that cruise ticket for him and my, my Nana to go on that trip, he passed within like six, eight months of that. And I had that in the plans to be able to like send them on that cruise so that he could say, I've been all the way around the world. Is there anything like that? Or maybe it's a harsher lesson or something or a, a, a more drastic thing. But is there anything like that from the military that like you didn't take advantage of, you didn't volunteer that you wish you had? Well, so um, my MOS was, you know, missiles and space systems, right? Mm -hmm. So we're not a, technically a combat, like 11 Bravos, right? Mm -hmm. 11 Bang Bangs. Um, so <laughs> I tried to go to jump school. Okay. And I tried for like six years to get in jump school. I kept getting denied because uh, you're not a combat MOS, right? And so I, I even had a hookup with the ex 82nd Airborne Sergeant Major to try to get me to pull strings to get me to school. I, he couldn't even get me in. So that's the only thing I wish I would have done with jump school, right? Just to say, you know, jumped out of a perfectly good airplane. That's the only thing I tried to do. That might be the one thing I know that's wrong with you, Sal. You <laughs> actually want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. <laughs> Well, because, you know, in the military, you know, there's no tandem jumping, right? Yeah. It, you jump on your own, right? I, that would be pretty funny if there was. <laughs> like, hey, this is part of boot camp. You got to go tandem jumping. <laughs> oh, that would be funny. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There's just something about jumping out of a plane. You know, it just seems pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've always had my wife, Sarah's gone skydiving at least twice i think maybe three times i think i would like to do it but i have the biggest fear of the fact that like the minute i jumped out i would have a heart attack <laughs> that, that, like, that would be my fate that like it would just be that instant like i would make my heart explode or whatever that i would have a heart attack from doing it <laughs> who knows well how how did how did the military influence your career? Did I mean, you obviously stayed relatively in similar fields. Were there any other passions that you tried to follow or that you tried to go after that filled other voids? Or have you always just stayed? In I, that? I have to admit, I just stayed because, I mean, my background was radars, um, you know, missile systems, the, you know, the various... Um, uh, what do you call it, early warning, right? With the DSP mm -hmm. satellites and SIBRs, you know, and the, all the ground-based radars, you know, Tule, you know, Cobra Dane, uh, SBX. So knowing the CONOPS and all the different uh, capabilities of those systems uh, really gave me a leg up um, when I went to a, as a contractor slash, you know, government support agency like Raytheon or GD and all those. Uh, because what's great was I had the hands-on experience of actually using those platforms. Yeah. So unlike when I became an engineer and I got my electrical engineering degree and I got my systems engineering degree and master's, I already had the hands-on stuff, right? So when I came to designing stuff, I know how to put the ergonomics. 
how to use it for con-ups, you know, extended you know, capabilities in the battlefield, uh, how the soldiers are going to use it. So it gave me a kind of leg up on the applications of it, right? So um, it was a great transformation. You know, they gave me all the skill sets to use that in the, in the civilian world, right, and help those companies, you know, um, aid the warfighter, right? So Make memes, it better. Yeah, so uh, it's great. It's kind of weird. Guys who just went to college and started designing stuff, they just design stuff. I met the requirement. Yeah, but you can't do that in the field, right? You know, you're like, yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of nice, right? So it, it kind of gave me a leg up on helping people design things that were for maintenance modes, uh, for operational use, right? Um, and, you know, example, one example was the guy designed this, uh, you know, graphic inter interface, right? And I said, do you understand that that's for one site? You, you're going to redeploy in combat. So you want to do forward planning, right? I want to see what the satellite configuration is in that location. I should have a tool that allows me to look at the satellite links. Can I get three satellites there or only two? Uh, you know, will I get different capabilities? So they were like, oh, didn't think about that, right? So it, it allowed me to help them design things that would be applicable to the warfighter. So. That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a huge tool to be able to, like, have the real field experience on top of all the back-end stuff to be able to sit there and say that, you know, like, I look at that from a construction standpoint of, you know, coming from being able to write the estimate, see it, do it, run the job, sell the job, you know, you're able to, you know what has to happen from start to finish. And, you know, that's probably my weakest link in there is short of the decorative concrete stuff I did, I, I hate running jobs. Like if you told me I had to be a project manager, I, I would tell you I'm turning in my notice. It's good to have some knowledge. And I mean, I spend time and I lean on those guys because I don't have that field application there because there's times that I have to go to them and say like, this doesn't really make sense to me. Does this make sense to you guys? Because I know on the back end, if I sell this now the way I think it needs to be done and you guys are going to tell me, that's not practical. That's not going to work in the field. I'm actually going to need to do X, Y, and Z. It's great to have that experience to be able to do that. So if you don't have that, having somebody you can ask that is key, which is I'm sure why you get a lot of the consulting stuff you still do today. Yeah. So you grew up construction, right? Again, I designed my patio, right? Yeah. But when the guys built it, uh, it's supposed to be a slant roof. And they came back and said, you know what? It's easier to build a straight roof. We'll just rip your roof off and we'll extend it. And we're like, I was like, I'm missing a roof. And they're like, it's okay. We'll put it on tomorrow. But again, they know how to do it. Their expertise, right? Yeah. They took a, a basic design and said, it's not, not as practical if you did this, right? And it yeah. worked out amazingly, right? Again, allowing people who have the expertise to take your design, your work, and expand on well, it. Well, it also happens too. Like, I mean, my backyard patio, we had a whole different design. Your patio is wicked, by the way. Well, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. But I mean, like... We had a whole different design. Like, our patio is not, I mean, what you've seen is not how we originally drew it up. The HOA came in and said we couldn't do this and that. Then the city of Plano came in and said we can do this, we can't do that. And it was to the point that we had the whole vision we had had to be completely scrapped. And then we had to be able to look at it from a whole other way. And... I'm telling you, it's probably the second closest I've come to getting a divorce <laughs> from the first time our house flooded in our very first house because me and my wife, you know, like we had this vision and then like 
trying to make that still work and speaking that fluently to each other. You know, she's a realtor. She sees it from realtor eyes and a design perspective. And then I'm seeing it from construction and budget and, you know, not saying she doesn't have those things too, but, you know, I'm looking at it and I'm going, well, shit, we can't do the attached roof now because of the fire pit and because of the HOA, we have to have a, a gap. It can't be attached to the house. Well, now the, the closest end of the fence can't be over eight feet. So it has to be at eight feet. So if I can't attach it, I only have it at eight feet and I can't have the back <laughs> end over. Well, that only leaves me with like a 212 pitch on my roof. Well, shit, I can't even shingle that roof now. Now I got to pay more money and have it be metal. Whereas we were going to do a, a pitched roof, gable, tied into the house open cedar soffit you know like we were going to do all this stuff and like that's all gone now and it's like well do you want this more or that more and then making those modifications and then trying to find a way to like but if between the two of us we didn't have all those field experiences that would have been hell i mean i can only imagine how much you would have spent going back and forth with an architect or a designer trying to tie those things together oh yeah and so- i'm sure you run into that in your field all the time that it's like these guys that just have the book knowledge come in and tell you this is how it's gonna be done you're like hold on son (laughs) this is what's really gonna have to happen going and then it's like oh now we're in the in between got to figure out the medium so i didn't want to hire a structural engineer to do the concrete because you know i got that big fireplace on Mm -hmm. the back end so i said i did the math did some engineering how much concrete you know in the mortar the brick's gonna weigh this much it's this tall and i said oh i gotta be about uh, 18 inches maybe 20 Ah, I'm just going to go down, you know, 26 inches down, right? So I dug it. They rebarred it. a footer. Yeah, and they, they poured it. Well, before they poured it, the inspector comes. And he's like, why is it so deep, right? I said, well, I did the math. I did this and everything. He goes, probably 18 inches would have worked, right? And I said, I didn't want you to tell me to dig it all up and go deeper, right? So I said, I figured I'd go deeper, right? But, again, I just, yeah, you know, behind the out. napkin thing and, did my math and that much. So, oh my gosh, man. Well, what would, what would you advise somebody younger that is looking at going down the military field? What would do it? And what would you say to them in today's world and climate and everything there? Like what, what advice would you give somebody looking at joining or wanting to join? Cause you came from a family that was raised in it. You still wanted to do it. And I think it was an easy decision, but what about somebody that's maybe on the fence or something? So, um, look at me right now, right? When I got 38 years old, I was, I just did 20 years. I retired from 38 years old. I drew a retired since I was 38. Right. So I got a pension since I was 38 and I still get one and you get your medical, right? That's probably going to be the biggest driver later in life for most people is their insurance. They're going to pay when they retire. Right. I don't have to worry about that. So, you're getting a pension, right? I doubled down on my house. I paid off my house, right? And it gives you a great skill set, right? But most importantly about the military, it teaches you values and norms, right? Uh, I don't care about a person's, you know, um, sexuality. I don't care about their color, their race. All I care about is that in- individual is competent. He's going to watch my back and I'm going to watch his, right? None of those norms, those other things matter, right? And the military teaches you that you rely on the individual next to you, right? 
probably the most important thing I learned in the military, right? And so when I see all the things in the news about X, Y, and Z, and yeah, it it's disheartening, right? Because I didn't grow up that way, right? Mm-hmm. I grew up that you're a soldier, you have a skill set, and you execute to the mission, right? Yeah. And our overall goal is we're not going to fail, right? <laughs> but I just when I look at pe- people today, and it's all about them or what I can have, and oh, you're this, you know group or you're this group it wasn't like that in the military right it wasn't man i hate the being put in a box thing man like that's one of those things that like absolutely chaps my ass you know i i do it when i go shopping intentionally it drives my wife absolutely insane <laughs> i will literally go to neiman marcus dressed like i just came out of the field working construction and i wait for that single employee that's going to come over and treat me like a normal human being and not put me in a box and assume that I don't have any money, that I'm just there, you know, browsing, whatever. <laughs> and then I make usually that kid's day because it's the youngest kid in the store that's barely worked there a month, you know, and he's going to come over and do what he has to because all the older people and all the other people don't want to have anything to do with it. And he comes over and it's like, well, cool. I'm just going to make this kid's day and I'm buying my whole new wardrobe or outfit or whatever. Um, it drives her nuts. But I, I can't stand, like, that's one of those things that drives me nuts. Like, everybody wants to categorize things and put it in a box. We can't just be human beings. We so, can't just, like, find commonality. We've got to find a reason to create division. So, uh, so I used to be a member of Joseph Phelps Winery mm-hmm. for a long time. Um, so they have a t- couple tables in the back that you can buy a bottle of wine, you can bring your own lunch, and sit back there, enjoy it, looking up over the vineyard. And then when you're ready for your tasting, you know, you can't take, uh, you can't do a tasting back there, but you'll yeah. come up to the front area uh, on the patio. So when I always go, I go to addendum, I pick up extra chicken, and I give it to, when I check in, I, you know, I give them a couple boxes of chicken so they can enjoy it in the back, right? Yeah. And I'm, I got our wine and we're eating. And then I went to the front and they always know me because I take care of them, right? Great service at Joseph Phelps, by the way. Great wine. Uh, yeah. Insignia. I love their insignia. It's, it's amazing. Okay. So I'm sitting there, and this lady's got her little dog, and she's petting it. And she, she goes, wow, they're giving you some extra pours over there. I said, yeah, you know, I'm a member, whatever. She goes, how long have you been a member? I said, about six years. And she goes, so what do you do? I said, well, I'm retired military, and that's as far as it went. She goes, and you can afford to be a member here? I mean, it was just... Yeah. You're military. You're down here in this low lip. Yeah. And then she's petting her dog. Oh, my husband's a doctor. So, you know, we're just here visiting, right? And I'm like, really? I mean, I just got ditched by. Yeah. It, it, you know, like she, I'm the one that helped fight for all the <laughs> things you're able to do, lady. Like, oh, yeah. I, I just thought it was kind of condescending. Kind of you know, she's wearing, she's not a doctor. It's yeah. her husband, right? And yeah. she's like, well, my husband's a doctor, you know. Petting that little poodle right there on the patio. I was like, I'll strangle that dog. <laughs> yeah. That shit drives me insane, man. I know, uh, man. What are, what are some of those other things right now, like, that you see in the world that just, like, absolutely drive you insane? I, I don't know, man. I think we've lost our perspective. Um, we're desensitized. Yeah. To, I, I, I want to call it violence. We're desensitized, you know, to other people, you know. 
sometimes you say, oh, why, why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you help him? Or why didn't he offer? You know, I, I don't know. I just, I just think we're desensitized to the human experience to help others, right? It's all about ourselves. I'm not saying everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. But I just see it more often than I did before, right? Yeah. And I don't know if it's because, you know, it seems like ever since the internet came out and information, whether it's real or fake or, or you know, you bot try, driven. I, I probably the best thing my statistics teacher taught me is you can make any data statistically made Makes however sense. you want it, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can get it to support whatever you want to do. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest battles we're going to face now is because, I mean, look at some of my show descriptions and stuff. I mean, it looks like a Nobel Peace Prize should be given <laughs> for, like, writing some of these things. It's all AI generated. It's something that, like, lets you rock and roll, you know. Like, it's, you know, it's a great tool to have. But when you can't differentiate what was human... And what was a bot, that starts adding things in. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be able to talk about and add some of these more difficult things in now that we're on Rumble. <laughs> You're, by the way, the first guest on Rumble. Ooh. So we, we moved over to Rumble. This is our premiere on Rumble. And it's because, you know, I, I started looking at data and stuff that we've had some big names on the show. And, like, you watch the data and stuff, and it's like, well, what did we talk about? Because this show should have done better. You know, and you start looking at that, and it's like they're controlling how much stuff gets out and what you say, where it does with it, or how much your podcast is put out there for people to listen to. And based on whether they like what you said or they didn't like what you said, it's a great thing about Rumble. We can say whatever the fuck we want. Uh, and I absolutely love it. I can drop the <laughs> F-bomb. You know, my in-laws and my mom's not going to like this at all. But so I can, like, completely go change. Yeah, your but mom's what, going, I raised him better than that. Yeah, <laughs> she is. And I'm like, but there's been studies that show that people that cuss are actually more intelligent. You know, I'll put that out there for you. Like, that's the case. I have a sergeant major. The funny story was every – we get, we go in the auditorium. Mm -hmm. There's a battalion, right? So you have, you know, 500 guys, you know, all in an auditorium. Yeah. And this one, we all take a word. You know, fuck, shit. Mm -hmm. And you should see the sergeant major. He'd be like, and you guys have effing. And we're all like keeping track. We're like, yeah. I mean, he would just go off at the rails, man. Uh, I'll put my, foot, my boot down your throat and out your ass. And I'll, you know, oh, my God. He was. <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. I mean, like, I'm fascinated with that stuff. Like, same thing with, like, military special forces. I, I've got some guys I'm working on getting on the show right now. One of them, I'm going I'm to say his name. I hope he's watching. I hope this is one of those things watching. Ray Cash Care. <laughs> he's a Navy SEAL. I met him the other week. We had Robert O'Neill up here uh, for the Bad Words podcast. If y'all aren't checking that out on Rumble, go check out my boy's podcast, Bad Words. It's badass. They had Robert O'Neill on. He's the Navy SEAL that killed Bin Laden. And Ray is one of the guys from his teams on here. Well, Ray, the more research I do, I'm, I'm watching all this stuff. I'm telling you, he's in, involved with, uh, I'm going to say this guy's name wrong, Bedros Kilian. He has, a, he has a book out. They have these boot camps for guys, like entrepreneurs, where they teach them the you know, things of the special forces. They, they teach them to be men. They teach them to be leaders. They teach them to be part of the brotherhood, stuff like that. I mean, you just Google Ray Cash Care, 
and yelling. Just put Ray Cash Care yelling in. <laughs> it is epic. Like, this guy, I'm going to say he's 5'8". He's absolutely yoked. I mean, when he walked in, I was like, this is a Navy SEAL. He's got to be friends with this guy. Like, when he walked in, I was like, dude's jacked, tatted up. I was like, and he just, you know, when you see somebody special for like, the demeanor, the way they carry themselves, like, it's almost instantaneously you can tell. And this guy came in, and, man, sure as shit, man, you Google that shit, <laughs> he is getting it. Like, I'll bet if he did Hell Week stuff, I'll bet those guys just wanted to die when they saw him <laughs> walking down the beach. Like, our day just got seriously fucked. Like, and... <laughs> Him and I have been going back about working on getting him on the podcast. I'm working on getting some sponsors and some show sponsors on here so we can bring some of those guys in. You know, it's like you got to get flights and hotels and stuff like that. Not all these guys live here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Well, he's like, man, you should just have your other buddy on that I met there. He's like, you should have him on. He's local with you and whatnot. You know, he's, he's going to be, you know, just smooth talking, this and that, you know, man. I, I did the work of the Lord, and man, I, I don't have any regrets. And I tell it how it is. I'm like, nope, that is exactly <laughs> what I want. I want you coming on here and teaching people and educating them, and let's just go, man. And he's like, man, he gets me fired up. I'm just reading text messages from the dude, and I'm like, my wife comes outside. She's like, what are you so amped up about? I'm like, I'm talking to a Navy SEAL. He's got me all jacked up over here. Like, he's just spitting fire, you know, but like, that's the way those guys are. And it's like, even, even if it's not special forces, just military acumen, knowledge, and experiences. And I, I think a lot of it has to be being well-traveled. You know, going around the world, seeing that how great we really do have it here in the United States. You know, we can bitch about a lot of things. And we can all say we don't like a lot of things right now. And I think we're at one of those points where a lot of things need to change. And there's going to be some ups and downs. And there's going to be more of what we've seen in the last couple of years. And there's going to be a breaking point at some point. But when you travel and you get out and see, you're like, ah, we really don't have it that bad. You go over, you know, I look at some of my, you know, extended family that may live in Europe and stuff like that. And, you know, I hear debates about, you know, what do you call it? Uh, you know, like we have like universal health care. Yep. One of my family members has needed medical care for a while on a waiting list. <laughs> Go check out. Yeah. Well, we have supplemental insurance that helps you. Yeah, well, that's still more. You're paying more for that. So basically, you're getting screwed because you're getting both. You get the universal, but then to really have anything or have something, you also got to have private insurance. And even then, the private insurance doesn't always help you out, and you're still waiting. And it's like, you could have been six months earlier, you know, and that's why a lot of them travel, and they'll come over to the U.S. and have whatever medical procedure or whatever they need, it's just so much of this doesn't even make sense to me. But if you go travel the world and you see these things, you're able to actually analyze that and have a well-rounded opinion on it. You could disagree with me, but have you traveled? And do you know anybody that's actually in that system and done it? I hate the arguments when people are just like, they don't even know. And it's just regurgitation of Fox, 
CNN, MSNBC, CBS, whatever. It, it's go educate yourself. Travel a little bit. Go somewhere else. Yeah. You think it's so great somewhere else. Go see it. Uh, I tell you, my brother, uh, so um, he's going to start traveling. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to do like, you know, two months in Australia, two months in uh, New Zealand. Hell yeah. Two months Thailand. Right? I, I, I think I just got divorced, man. My wife's going to want to know your brother's phone <laughs> number and want to go but, with him. He did so much research. You can get healthcare supplement for traveling mm-hmm. and it's hardly anything. And yeah. I'm thinking, you pay more in the States than you do outside the States. And he was showing me that Vietnam really has some really great healthcare stuff. Yeah. And it, inexpensive. Do you, do you pay it yourself, right? I mean, a lot of it's going to be out of pocket, but it's nothing to pay, right, in Vietnam. Yeah. I was, I was amazed. Because your dollar is so much more there. Oh, my. I, I was just blown away. It's but like, how do you find the comfort level of being like, I'm going to let this Vietnamese doctor operate on me? <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but he was talking about you could do all these tests and X-ray, yeah. MRI, and it's nothing, right, compared to what we pay here in America. I was like, gosh almighty, our health care is so expensive. Oh, man. Yeah, the pluses and minuses of it all. But, uh, uh, you know, again, I think if you travel, you see more of that. You know, yeah. you get to experience that. Yeah. So real quick, funny, so when I was yeah. in El Paso, uh, I had to support the special forces uh, in their training. They do desert training in uh-huh. El Paso at the time. And it was uh, out of McGregor Range. It was hilarious was I just had to meet them at certain points. We had, you know, MREs and, and water. They do a resupply, right? And so it was evening time. We're there. And these guys, you know, they got all their camo on. And it's, you know, 110 degrees. And they're just laid out, right? And the sun is just baking on them. You're like, it's 110. And you're just laying out with all this camo on, right? And one of the guys goes, snake. And, you know, because we're like one under, under the bushes. Every guy jumped up. And they literally killed that snake. And they literally stripped it. And they started eating it raw, right? Because they only get one MRE a day for their training, right? Every day. That's all they get. And I was amazed. They're just scraping the bones off the, you know, there's not a lot of meat on a rattlesnake. And they were just cutting it off and eating it raw so they could have extra. I was like, man, these guys are. It's unreal, man. I mean, I have a friend from high school that joined the Army Rangers, and I remember when he came back, like, same thing. They literally dropped them off in the jungle somewhere for I don't know how long, and you just had to survive. They came back and got you a week later or however long it was, and same thing. Like, they had, like, one of the the only picture he had was they found some big-ass snake, and, I mean, I'm talking (laughs) – there's a team of six rangers, and this snake is draped all across their backs and down the sides. And they're like, yep, barbecue. <laughs> and yeah, they didn't, even bar- they didn't cook it. They ate it raw. They I just can't tri- imagine that. Oh, oh, my God. Snake sushi. I know. Oh. I like, but, I mean, it was amazing, these guys. I mean, they were just. You didn't save that recipe for 1789B? Yeah, I didn't. That wasn't on the list there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, you know, uh, so my, uh, my wife's nephew um, he was 11 Bravo, a grunt, right? Okay. So uh, I went to his bachelor party and, you know, oh, here comes a pog. And I said, a what? Because they kept calling me pog, right? And I was like, what the heck's a pog, right? He goes, people other than grunts, right? You know, <laughs> it was just so funny. I was like, wait, that's a new vernacular for me, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing going, yep, I, that's true. That's the way it goes. I mean, uh, the, one of the guys I was sitting next to at the Bad Words podcast with Robert O'Neill was there, he kept calling him a squib, and I was like, 
God, you got balls. And I was like, oh, well, he's Marine Recon. Yeah. So, no wonder you're calling the Navy still a squib. Like, all right, like, that makes sense. I, at first, I was kind of like, God, this old man next to me has some balls. Like, Yeah, so uh, when I was at Vandenberg, um, the Na- we, we were a, um, an Army-Navy detachment. Yeah. yeah they, they help offset us. In the field, they actually have a detachment with us in the field, Navy does. And so uh, Master Chief Cress was assigned to my unit. Even though I was an E-8, he was an E-9. Okay. He's Navy. So I always say, hey, Chief. He goes, Master, right? You got to put Master in front of the Chief. But I always called him Chief, right? For the, the six months he was with us, I always say, come on, let's go, Chief. He goes, Master, right? Every time. <laughs> and I was like, look, it's, I'm not being disrespectful. Just I call everybody Chief. Come on, Chief, right? And he's like, it's Master. I mean, it was just hilarious. They love. Yeah. He, he said, if you would know the ritual it takes to in the Navy there. to become a, a you got to keep a logbook. I mean, it's just not easy becoming a, a master chief in the Navy, right? Yeah. But he says, I earned that, so it's master, right? <laughs> it's not senior chief. It's not chief because a chief is E7, right? Yeah. So, um, me calling him chief was like a demotion all the time, but I said, I just say chief, right? He goes, no, it's master, right? It's hilarious, man, those guys. But I what, always make uh, fun of the Navy. They have their... What, year was we, what years did you serve? Uh, 81 through 2001. Okay, so we were in the same time. You were in a lot longer than I was. Yeah. Good God. I didn't go into 89. Oh, 89. Yeah, I was there. Because you heard Brandenburg. I'm like, oh, snap. I was in Berlin when the gate and the wall, all that yep. stuff came down and they unified. And yeah. So yeah, I was in Germany from 89 to 92. I was, I was in Berlin. Yeah, I, I was got in, there in I was 90. in Ansbach. I played football there. Oh, you know what? A buddy of mine, Samoan, right? He was the water boy. Are you going to be able to like he verify was, this? He now? was 6'3". All of them are. 260 pounds. Including right? the females. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing about it was, he's, we were talking about, you know, I said, oh, are you part of it? Because Nuremberg had a great football team. He goes, yes, yes. I said, no. He says, I'm on the, um, the what do you call it, rugby team. He said, football's for wusses. Yeah. Because they wear pads. And I'm like, <laughs> but he, I met his two brothers in Saudi, right? And they're like 6'5 and 6'6, six, six, right? He was the baby of the family at 6'3", right? And I was like, the guy was huge. Yeah. I dated a girl that was someone in the Army, and I broke up with her with three. I got tired of being manhandled. <laughs> and we was just making out, and this I came out with bruises. That is an image I did not need in my head. I'm sorry, bro. It was, she, was, she was gorgeous, but it just felt like I was in a street fight when we would kiss. <laughs> I, didn't want, I didn't want no more of that. That's like when my little brother, when I went to Hawaii this year, and he took me on the road to Hana. And you get in some of these little villages and stuff, and you start seeing these Samoan-like dudes. Like, so when you went to his house, he goes, he gives you this little, uh, I don't know, looks like a skirt, and says, go in the bathroom, take off your pants, put it on. I was like, yep. what? He goes, my house, you have to wear that traditional yeah. wrap thing around. I'm shocked you didn't come out with a tattoo, a chest tattoo <laughs> in, in the whole night. I can't it's, show that no. still under confidentiality here. <laughs> Wow, when, awesome. you, when you said the park name, so our base was, I was G, I was a golf, so we were Signal Battalion. And literally, we shared the base in Berlin with all the 11 Bravos. So, you know, when every time we went out on the, you know, the economy is what we called and went to the club or whatever, 11 Bravos on this side, everybody else on that side. <laughs> and we would just kid and stand each other on base, talk shit to each other. But if we were out in public, we were one unit. 
That was the one thing I did. I did love. It was unity. But you know, it's kind of like a fraternity type thing. You know, you're this, you ain't that. They used to call us chairborn, oh, not yes. airborne, but chairborn. chairborn. Yeah. But <laughs> my son is in his eighty second. He's he's a he's an E seven now, and he. He loves to jump out of things that fly. <laughs> Broken his arm twice, cracked ribs. He has all kind of screws and things like that. And I said, what you doing? About to go up. See you later. He loves it. That's crazy. Well, I got to give my wife a little shit right now. Uh-oh. I mean, Biz had trouble logging in to Rumble, even though I sent him all the stuff, and then I didn't have the same stuff, and it worked. It was the question mark. It was a shift thing It was the question, the question mark. mark. Literally, I missed the question mark. Missed question we're mark. up. We're good. My wife's had problems just getting on Rumble and following her husband's show. <laughs> Your mom's here. I'm just going to point out that my mom, yeah. my mom, that you know can program a VCR and everything, other important things like that, has not only followed and gotten on Rumble, but she's also like the first one on here that's actually got verified to comment and everything, which I know that takes process because I couldn't do that when I first started following bad words because you actually have to get verified to be able to comment. It's a huge pain in the ass. Like Rumble, for all the things it is great, still has a little ways to go on like getting this to be a little bit smoother and easier for people to use. But I do love that we can say whatever the fuck we want. Yeah. And well, I'll not tell you really had to worry about certain things. I'm being honest. This is hot as fuck. I told you that you had the Four Roses, right? Yeah, I right? got the Four Roses. Holy crazy. I told you, I've never had a Four Roses that hot. And I mean, obviously, like, I've drank it for a while. Like, there's not a lot left. Man, I did like not a, remember it being that hot. And like, that's amazing. Usually it oxidizes and it gets and sweeter. It gets sweeter. And, man, this is like cinnamon stick on the back of your tongue, man. It's like big red on steroids. Wow. Like, it, I, I poured it, I was like, well, when you texted me back and we're like, I'm bringing blah, 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 I was like, well, shit, I'm just going to pull these two bottles out. Um, I was like, well, I'll just have one pour. I mean, I got here early today. I was like, I'll have one pour before the show. I poured that, and, I mean, as a, I, he thought he was going to give me, like, CPR or something in the back, like, it hit the back of my windpipe. Oh, I was at the table. crying. Yeah, he I was, was about to fold. Brick red. I it was, was, about it to was fold looking up. like your coworker. He was about to fold. Quick. I was about to fold up. Like it hit me and it hit the back of my windpipe because I wasn't expecting it. You know, Four Roses is one of my go-to when it's single barrel. I don't like any other Four Roses other What's the than recipe on this. This is a OBSV OBSF. Wow, I know it's got the rye at thirty-five percent. Yeah, but like it that. That damn bottle is hot. Yeah, it doesn't hold you to the delicate fruitness. No, yeah. The, the description is wrong. Brent Elliott got that one wrong. Um, but I'm being honest, probably one of my top ten, always four roses. Always four roses. You know, that's the only vertical I've ever completed, and that's when I started my collection. I was like, I got to get all ten recipes. Like, I had to do that. And I've sworn I'm going to do it. Now, you're going to be one of those people that has to come over when I do do this. I haven't done it yet. I want to pull all, all 10 recipes out, put them down, and blind them. And see what everybody votes for and what actually is the best. Like, what of the 10 recipes is the best? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, we picked our barrel from Four Roses this year. And we did all 10 barrels. We picked the one we wanted. And, you know, they ask you afterwards, can you name the barrels? Mm. You know, we did it. And I was five for five. <laughs> nice. Didn't even, clump, didn't even come close. <laughs> what's, what's your favorite Four Roses recipe right now? I think it's OESK. OESK is definitely my favorite. 
Yeah. Without question. Like that, I don't know what it is about that one. What, what is it for you? Because I, I can't pinpoint why I like that one the most. So I, I kind of like the, I know it's got the normal vanilla, your, you know, mm-hmm. caramel. But this one actually, I like it because it's a little bit more of a, like a cooking type of brown sugar, right? It's almost like it's caramelized. It's like a cream brulee and a Coke. Yeah, it doesn't get to the that extra vanilla cream of the cream brulee, but I love the finish because the warmth just it doesn't go overbearing. Yeah, it just stays with you, right? Mm. I, I think that's what makes it. It's nice upfront sweetness, and then just a nice warm that stays with you, right? I, I just love it's just you know it's. It, I won't say it's uh, you know monotone you know type of uh, taste. It's just it's up and just just stays, and I just love that. Yeah, I really do. I, I like those. I want somewhere. I, I like a higher proof that doesn't drink like a higher proof. Like I used to like a lot of higher proof, and now I'm I'm etching back down again. I, you know, you say that um, to this day. I think there's only been one Stags Junior that I've ever added water to. I really love Stags Jr.'s nine. intensity, right? It's nine or 11 for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think the last one I just opened was an eight. Yeah. I've got a nine or 11. I can't remember which one it was. And I recently had some friends over and I let them pick. And one is not an experienced bourbon drinker, was just on for ride. And the minute we cracked that, I forgot what the proof was, but it was literally like 147 something up there it, it was fire and I, I forgot why I hadn't touched that bottle in a long time and it it, it was heat I, I like some heat but it has to be the right timing yeah. you know like I, I love I love something that says it's 120 126 but drinks like a 105 107 yeah. something in that range the, I find my range on proof is almost like my range in years on most bourbons like, I don't think many people make a bourbon much better after 15 years. I think 12's a real good sweet spot. 10's not bad, but I think 8's about where you really want to be. Well, so, so, like, 8 to 12, I think, is a really good range. So, I asked Jimmy Russell, I said, hey, Jimmy, I said, we were in the Rick House together, and I said, hey, what's your favorite sweet spot? And he said, usually it's 9 to 13 years. That's where you're going to find the sweet spot for most bourbons, right? Yeah. And then so I asked him, I said, well, kind of off because you got a decades and it says it's 10 to 20 year old bourbons, right? He goes, well, here in Kentucky, if we don't take our shoes off. We never get past 10, right? Everything's a 10, right? And I was like, <laughs> I mean, he was he's so quick on the responses, right? I was like, I mean, at the time he was 82 years old yeah. you know, when, I, when I met him and just still quick as a whip, that guy is. Yeah. And, um, but you know, when I was there, I think he tasted one bourbon out of the 13 barrels we tasted of the Russell's reserve. We were tasting, he only did just one taste, right? Uh, he's really not tasting that much what uh, that event that mm-hmm. we were at. Right. But, uh, he rolled out some incredible barrels for, uh, uh, they did a Reed and Emerald, I think. And then, uh, some other barrels for another club. So, um, that's wow, cool. it was amazing, man. Yeah. I, I was sad the day I was there, he was not there. And I heard he showed up like. 30, 45 minutes after we left, like, uh, I was, I was just playing. It's like, old Dusty Turkey's probably my number one. Like, uh, I can't think of anything that tops Dusty Turkey for me. No, I, I uh, Emerald uh, Adair, um, I was at his house about two months ago. He opened up some 
uh, old granddad, one fourteen. Uh, yeah. Some older, older stuff. Wow. <laughs> Being honest, it was a caramel bomb. It was just, it was amazing. Uh, I was like, gosh. Do you think they're ever gonna like recapture? Like, we're gonna I have know. another sweet spot like what they had. I, you know in what? Seventies. I haven't 80s had the even. eight year. I heard the eight year wild turkey is really good. Uh, but I love the wild turkey twelve, the export. Mm. I'm being honest. Um, like you said, you find something you like. I think I'm going to stock up on the uh, the Wild Turkey 12. I really, yeah, really enjoy I, it. I did that. Not this last trip, but the trip before. I got my two bottles of that. <laughs> I've just got them sitting in the cabinet right now. It's like I'm not even opening those right now because I have so much Russells and turkey. If I if I sold off my collection and I just sold everything, and if I had to choose one. I would sell it all off or trade it all for dusty turkey, probably. I think I would feel like I won at that point. <laughs> that, that would be a fair trade-off for me. Uh, I had some of the um, Old Fitz 10 years. The yeah. Old, man, that... Uh, I old Fitz, I had a 17 or an 18-year Old Fitz that I got. Yeah. At right before... Right before the crash, I bought off a guy for like 350 bucks, like a 17 or 18 year old. That's my favorite bottle I've ever bought. Wow. And that was so caramel sweet, just right in the zone. Like that, that stuff's impossible to find unless you're just gonna pay a premium. I like the Russell, uh, like the 2003, the, the limited, like, the, some of those, like, they're so good. But, man, those are going for insane oh, amounts amount. still. Even though, like, the spirit industry is completely crashing and, like, not what it was by any means. Well, you know, a, a lot of the old yeast recipes are gone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, today's grains are hybrids of, you know, drought-resistant, you know, insect They're modified yeah, grains. you know, so... And then, you know, you got these um, new distilleries that are trying to use, you know, these weird grains. Uh, I know that uh, Kevin the other day was talking about some, oh, they use some small green batch that is some weird name, right? Yeah. Uh, and they're trying to be all eclectic, you know, in their distilling process, right? Uh, you know, I don't know. I. It's hit or miss on a what lot. What do you think about some of these craft guys? Uh, you know, like a good friend of mine now in Bishop, he's going back into the seed, uh, I don't know what you call it, like the seed library. And he's trying to bring back a lot of old grains. And, you know, like the Bloody Butcher, you know, like up until five years ago, that wasn't really being produced and around in great quantities. Some of that stuff's coming back. Do you think? Do you think they'll achieve some of that with bringing back some of these old grains? Do you think they're going to have to find a new yeast strain or possibly cultivate an older yeast strain from some random source to to get back to that? Or do you think it's just a cycle? Because I mean, like bourbon's done that for so long, like. There's always, I mean, whether bourbon's been at its peak, at its lowest, in between, back up, back down, there's always been great finds in between 
Well, so, <sighs> Miguel gave me um, Woodville. I think it's the apple, that apple flavor uh, that has an apple flavor to it. But it's not apple flavor, but it has an apple flavor to it. It's amazing. I, I don't want to open it because I, I know I'll drink the crap out of it. It's just, it's, yeah. it's so unique and it's no flavoring, no nothing. Yeah. But it's just how they got to that profile. That strain produced that It's flavor. amazing, right? And I didn't think I was going to be a fan of it. And he, he let me try it and I fell in love with it. I thought it was so unique, so amazing. And I can know how happy Miguel was when you said that. And he's like, I've got three or four bottles of this. <laughs> hey, Sal, I really want this 1789B pick of this. Let's make a deal. I'm sure he was really disappointed that you liked that green apple that much. Never happened. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's... That's the great thing about this group of friends that we've all formed over this is everybody that we hang out with has this desire to share. share. And you look forward to seeing, mm. like, hey, Sal, I really want... It's almost like it's more devastating when they're like, that's not my cup of tea here. <laughs> Man, well, like, that. You, you didn't get the reaction you were expecting because, like, we all hold each other in such high regards and we're all trying to find that one that we can be like, all right, I just introduced this, like, got to try this or so taste there's, this. So there's one bottle I've had for about a year and I, I just sip it every once in a while because it's so unique. Uh, the Waythens full bar uh, foolproof, the barrel proof they do. Which one? Um, it's the uh, Waythens. Okay. Um, it's, um, if you ever worked on a farm and you had to bale hay, you know, it's just like belling hay is one of the worst jobs I've yeah. ever had in my life. And oh my gosh, you know how you get that straw on your debris on your? It's just like that. I mean, it's it's basically eating a bale of hay. Uh, but this one you're drinking, right? But Miguel, when he first tasted it, he's like, uh, "And why did you buy this again?" <laughs> yeah, the Waythens, that uh, uh. barrel proof. Bailing hay, man. You just brought back so many memories. <laughs> I worked on a farm in Connecticut when I was younger, and like, man, I, the one that's the only one that competes with that is is when we had to pick when it was pepper season. We had to pick all the different peppers, and when you're in these rows picking these peppers, there's so many that are rotted, like on the bottom side of the plant, like on the back side. And, man, you throw this. Like, we would come home, and it looked like we had a tie-dye shirt on. Because the best thing you want to do is, like, see your buddy, and he had his back to you, or he was on another row, and throw one of these rotted peppers at him. And it hits you, and that acid stains your shirt. The smell is, like, impossible to get <laughs> off of you. Like, it was just like you bought – we bought, like, 12 packs of, like, Hanes T-shirts. Because <laughs> once you got home, you just threw it away. There was no washing. Your mom was not letting you put that in the washing machine, like, at all. But, like, that and laying irrigation, uh, I would say, like, laying irrigation on a farm, like, that shit sucks. Yeah, that is hard, <laughs> tedious work. I, I wouldn't want to do that. Picking tobacco, the little bit of that we did, because the farmer that I worked on, like, he didn't have a lot of tobacco. He had a little bit. It's made, I think, for his personal use. 
We didn't have to do a lot of that. I mean, that's dirty, but that's just because the nicotine just sticks to you. And it's just, it's so gooey. <laughs> yeah, my dad used to tell stories about picking cotton down in Tubac, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And how they had to put, like, uh, tape around the fingers to pull because they just shredded your gloves. I mean, it was... Oh See, if we were still on Facebook and just YouTube, we probably would have got shadow banned for saying picking cotton. <laughs> I mean, like that, that probably would have happened. I'm just saying. One thing I love about being on Rumble. Oh, yeah. Well, what, what would you say has been the best advice you've ever been given? Best advice? Gosh. I don't know. That's, that's a hard one. Because, I mean, there's been such great advice. You know, like I told you, volunteer yeah. when I first got in, but, you know, volunteer yeah. for everything, right? And I, I guess probably the best thing is, you know, I won't say it's advice, but, you know, just treat others like you would treat yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, you know what? We're all human, right? I, I don't know where people get this status in life. They, they're above people. Yeah. I just, I don't get it, right? Yeah. You know. I, it's sad. What? What's the best advice you think you've ever given somebody? Like maybe that tied to a, a moment that. Was... So, you know, my grandkids, right? You know, I, I tell them. Yeah. You got to plan for the future, right? And I know you're young. You're like, I just want to live my life. No, that's not how it works, right? You need to create a spreadsheet, you know, say, hey, I'm going to live in this area. This is uh, my rent. This is going to be my utilities, my food, whatever you, entertainment, whatever is my savings, yeah. plan it out guys. Right. And then measure yourself how you're doing. Right. Because they'll get in a situation they can't get out of. They're like, Oh, my rent's too much. I, my job doesn't cover my bill. You know what I mean? They're already behind. Right. And that's the best thing I, I told them is just plan for everything. Right. And, and just measure yourself. If you don't have metrics that you're looking at. Right. And how you're doing, you can't make adjustments. You're going to get behind the power curve. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, same thing for their, their classes, right? Uh, Brandon, probably the best, my grandson, you know, he called me up and said, hey, you know, I'm not doing well in my, um, my physics class. Can you help me, right? Mm -hmm. Best thing ever, right? I said, thank you for calling me, right? Let me help you work through these problems, right? And all he needed was how to set the problem up. I said, look, get all your variables, right? Here's X, here's Y, here's A, B, whatever, you know set the problem up, get all your variables and say, okay, based off of this, what equation am I going to use to figure out this issue, right? You say, okay, I'm missing this numerator or whatever, you know, I need to figure this out. You're going to have to do this calculation. Now do this. Once he saw how to set things up and, and execute, after that, he was just getting it, right? Just ask for help, right? There's nothing wrong with asking for help, right? And no, after that, you got to learn. Did, yeah, he did so well after that. But just tutoring him and helping him, right? Just ask for help, right? What 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 does a day in Sal's life look like? Like, do you have any like set rituals that like? You, I mean, because you seem very goal oriented. Are you a person that plans out your entire day? Like, are you you know like when I was a kid, my dad made me get on the Franklin Planner. I'm seriously considering going back to that because when I write stuff down and do that, I'm so much more productive. I accomplish more than trying to be fully digital. Like digital, I think, takes that writing aspect out of it. And there's a disconnect there when you're not writing things. Like I journal, 
I'm not always consistent with it, but when I am consistent and I do those things, like, does that help you? Are well, you a person that does that? Like, are you a post-it note on the mirror no, guy no, no. of goals? Like, I, how, how do you operate in a day-to-day, yeah, so week-to-week, I, I, month-to-month? No, so I, I create what they call a hot sheet. Okay. And I put what, um, the date, the need date, right? I put the need date. It has to be completed for all my tasks, right? And then what I do is then I say, okay, this has got to be done by the 18th, by the 21st. And then I put the date, that today's date. And it automatically, it only tells me I got seven days left, five days left, three days to get this done. And it helps prioritize based on that. And it's called my hot list. And then what I do is I look at do my list. Do you do that personal and work or do you just do that as uh, a no, combined? Both. I do it both. Okay. Uh, my wife and my brother does it too, is when I travel, I create a spreadsheet that says, you know, I'm going to this restaurant, I'm going to this museum, I'm going here, you know, we gotta, we gotta you know, travel to this location. I put all that in there. Now, whether we do it or not, that's a different story, but at least I have a plan. Yeah. We can modify it as we want. Because if you don't have a plan, you don't know what you're going to do, and you're going to just shoot from the hip, and it doesn't always work out, right? Uh, and it was great because when I went to Athens on a vacation, I, 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 when I did all the research, museums are free on Wednesdays. So if I didn't plan or I didn't know, I might've went on a Monday and Tuesday, had to pay. On Wednesday, I could go to all these museums for free, right? So it helps if you plan and execute ahead of time. I said, okay, if I gotta be at the museum here, here, I'm gonna go to lunch here. It's great, man. I mean, uh, but what's really great about, but I call it the hot sheet yeah. for work. List all my priorities. I got an IBR here, integrated baseline review, or I gotta do this and this and this. I gotta have these data products ready. It helps me orient and say, okay, I gotta stop working on this. I gotta do this and finish this because it's due in three days. And this one's only due in seven. But I also do what I call the uh, low-hanging uh, fruit. Those things I can get done in a day or half a day, right? So you've got to look at your list and at least do a couple quick things and then get back to the priorities, right? They yeah. take a little longer. So I recommend anybody just create a hot list, but make it a spreadsheet that you put the today's date and it should automatically calculate how much time you have left for all your tasks, right? All right I got to learn how to do that. You're, you're apparently a way better spreadsheet <laughs> wizard than I am. But so do you have a ritual or a process where, you know, I'll use Brandon Frakes as an example because I try to model after him a lot. Uh, You know, he's become a very good friend of mine and he's one of the most productive people that accomplishes so much in a single day and yet measures it throughout the whole year. And I know like at the end of the year, he takes a day or two where he kind of like locks himself away and he just kind of reviews everything that he accomplished or didn't accomplish in a year. And then he like kind of like sits, lets that saturate and like meditate on it a little bit. And then he plans the next year or the next, however he breaks that down. Do you have a similar process? I mean, like, do you do you reflect back on it at the end of the year? Do you yeah, like really so I, like sit I, I don't down and do like it for too many personal quarterly goals. or I, I do it. So I have a five year plan. I keep moving, mm-hmm. you know, for all my finances and my trips and you know where I want. I want to take two vacations a year, so I'm planning for those events. Yeah, because um, you know I want to be one of those guys that works hard but plays harder. Yeah. So I actually plan my vacations and I try to hit those goals and make sure I put money away for those special events, right? So uh, I always try to measure myself. Did I do my two vacations? 
you know, did I do my things right? Uh, and the reason is, you know, I work a lot, right? Yeah. But I just want to make sure, you know, Kathy is enjoying herself too. Cause you know, Kathy's retired. Yeah. So, you know, I've got to make sure I take, you know, that time to, yeah. you know, that quality time away yeah. from work. right? <laughs> Absolutely, man. It's, it's important to have that balance. And a lot of people, myself included, are not great at that. You know, it, it's something I try to be better at and work on constantly, you know, and, I think a lot of people could use that kind of advice in learning how to how to manage their time because at the end of the day, time is your greatest asset. It's not necessarily money. I mean, money helps a lot, but you don't get back time. Oh yeah, you don't. You know, so and I think that goes to your earlier lesson. You know, and living life in the moment and but planning your time and utilizing your time to the best that you can. And I think people find that they're happier and have better experiences when they, when they do that, when they manage their time the best. Well, for me, like, you know, the other day, Kathy, she came outside. She goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, you know, doing my quarterly spray, you know, the insecticide around the house, doing all those things. And she's like, yeah. oh, I'm like, babe, I got a list of things I've got to do, right? She yeah. Goes, well, I didn't know you were outside, right? Yeah. I, I keep my own personal list of tasks I got to do. Yeah. And it's kind of nice when the wife doesn't have to remind you, right? Yeah. That's a great one. <laughs> and, well, I don't know about you. I love to cook. So, I mean, when I come home, even after a full day's work, I try I, to cook. I, I love to grill and yeah. smoke. I, I, I wouldn't say cook. Actually, I would love to be better at cooking certain things. Okay. Now, it's... Sarah is a very good cook, and she like she likes to cook on the stovetop and the oven and stuff like that. And like, she has her go tos that she really likes to do with that. Whereas I am flat top grill and my smoker, my pellet grill. Since he's here, I'll call him out. We're gonna have a competition soon. You're gonna be one of the judges, Ooh. by the way. Miguel wants to have a rib off, and uh, we're we're gonna do that soon because. Uh, I got I got uh, this rib off down pretty pretty solid. He he talks a big game. I mean he he talks as much shit about <laughs> is, is the, the the cooking side as he does golf. And yeah, I offered him to put money down on golf the other day, and he 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 didn't decline, but he he went very quiet. So I, I didn't I'm, want I'm, you to I'm be down. upset about me drinking your Weller 107 after also losing to me in golf with one of the worst rounds you put up, like. I, I own Miguel's headspace when it comes to golf. Like we're yeah, playing, he's, he's not wrong. I mean, we're, he's, he's we're, definitely we're not playing wrong. in a scramble together this Saturday, and I'm really looking forward to it because, like, I, I actually can't talk shit to him during this because, like, he's on my team. But like, <laughs> when it's just us out playing, oh man, like I own him. I own that mental space right now. So are, are we he's talking? He's gonna get there, and, it, and it's gonna be a bittersweet day for him. And I know at some point I'm gonna eat some shit for this. But in the interim, it's so much fun. You know, now, busting your boy. Baby backs in St. Louis style. I'm going baby back. I enter my hat in either one. I would hey, throw I, my hat in the ring for either one. That's, that's not a proper rib competition. Wait, so baby oh, back. hey, man, you do it however you want to do it. Yeah, it's going to be the same rib. It's going to be the same rib. All right, that's fine. We'll right. go to Costco together. We'll buy the same you ribs. Hold hands, walk it in, show, show our yeah. joint, joint Costco card. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> hey, real quick, yeah. what, what was that one that we had at, what do you call it, house, that big, thick, big ribs? 
Oh, those the, are those. The beef ribs or the... They're either beef ribs or oh, they, they have those, those t- like, I think they're like T-Rex ribs or whatever they're yeah, calling them. Yeah, we had them at... They're uh, massive. They're like... Your friend's house. Uh, remember the big um, gas grill he's got in the back? Remember uh, the fire pit thing? We were all sitting around. He brought oh, them trousers. out. Oh, trousers. That's, yep. um, that's uh, they were beef ribs. Yeah, but what were they called? They were huge. Well, that that that's like the, the dino, nickname is like Dino ribs. Yeah. Dino ribs. Oh, dino dino ribs. Yeah, that 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 full beef ribs. Yeah, but I mean, but they they were, the nick the the knackler was. Yeah, you could you can get them at your favorite spot, local yeah. local. Oh my gosh! You can get wagyu. They have wagyu beef ribs there. Ooh. And I've I've brought them before and I've smoked them before and they are phenomenal. Oh my gosh. Hey, you you do what you got to do to try to win. That's all I'm going to say. Because <laughs> it's going to be just like your golf game. It's going to come up a little bit short. Hey, for my man over here, headspace and timing, what does that go to? Huh? What weapon does headspace and timing go to? All I had was the M16, so I don't know. Oh, okay. I had M16 to computer. I didn't know if you knew the Ma Deuce, the nope. M50. Oh, M- oh, wow. The, the, I know the what that is. 50, man. So you know what? You know gun what? Guy too? I have a scar from that. <laughs> in basic training, one of the uh, one of the round shells popped off and went down my BDUs and bounced around in my shirt, and I have a lovely, beautiful <laughs> scar because it can't. Yeah, so I do know what an M50 is. Yeah. So uh, funny story about that. So we were at the range, we fired our Patriots off, and then we got to go watch the Vulcan uh, fire. You know the, the man, Vulcan. and it, it sounded like a big fart, right? It goes, <laughs> and they just fired thousands around. Yes. But it, we beautiful. got there, the guy goes, "Hey, you need to back up, right?" The guys on the turret go, "Hey, you need to back up." So we like, oh, back here? So we, you know, we get back there. Man, he fires that thing. All that hot brass went right over. <laughs> and we were just on our steel pots back then. Man, we were just bing, getting bing, 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 bing. Yeah. So a buddy of mine, he down took, the front got of one side. of the shells, went right down the back of his. Mine went, mine went down the front. Uh, I caught in the front. I literally have a keloid right here from it. Yeah, so back then we had the OG uh, 109s. Remember the tuck-in green, yep. solid greens? Yeah, right down the back. He couldn't get it out because it, you're tucked, right? It's not the BDUs where they're open. And that round sat in the back. And cooked him and got, he has, he has a permanent memory of that. Yeah, but the only thing great was back then you have a T-shirt. So it went behind the T-shirt and the, the shirt. That's oh exactly what it happened to me. It still burnt through. It smoked him. Oh, yeah, it smoked him. Yep. I, now now so you're bringing you back fond memories. So you like, you know, you played with missiles and stuff all the time. Like, did it create a love for guns? Uh, and you know all what? That I really too? didn't get into guns that much. But uh, probably the, the most weirdest thing I saw was uh, Stinger, right? Uh, it's called Avenger. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's got the Stingers on the side. It's got a canopy, and they can fire remote, right? So they can actually, you know, fire remotely mm-hmm. from the turret. And as soon as it went off the rail, the motor blew up. Not the warhead, but just the motor blew up. So the EOD has to come out, clear the area. And then what they call man pads, they, uh, when they fire, the two-man team fire shoulder. You couldn't get me to fire that thing after watching it blow up right there 20 feet away. They're, they're so excited. They're like, let me go fire this thing on my shoulder. I'm like, it just blew up on that Avenger, and you want to fire it on your shoulder? They were so pumped up to fire it. You know if you're ready for weapons in basic training, as you remember, and I was lucky in my round to go through. I got to witness this. So they teach us how to throw a hand grenade. <laughs> and it's not a full concussion grenade, but you always get the one idiot that literally pulls the pin, forgets to throw it. The drill starting standing next to him. He's like, throw it, and he had to grab him. You know there's that retaining wall that you have to throw over. He threw the pin, <laughs> dropped the grenade. 
right at their feet. He grabs them, tosses them over, and boom, like I said, it's more of a bigger M80. It's not a full concussion grenade, but just imagine if you was in a real situation and this dude was standing next to you. No, this is your that, battle buddy. That was my biggest problem, and hats off to all you guys that served and got further than I did. You know, <laughs> I've told this story before. I went to boot camp in the Navy, and I left about a week before I would have graduated. I didn't actually get a leave, but I got discharged honorably, all that. They wouldn't honor my contract, all that good stuff. But my biggest problem in boot camp was... I didn't mind the guy that was really trying, you know, go with the 300-pound guy that wanted it so bad and just physically was struggling to run the mile in under the 14 minutes or whatever. Yeah, oh, you had, you had a private pile. Yeah, <laughs> you had a private yeah, yeah, yeah. pile. I mean, like, yeah. those guys I didn't mind. But these other dudes that, like, were there because they were court ordered or didn't want to be there. And I'm like, the whole time, like, this is one thought I knew, I knew I could never get out of my head when I was in boot camp was my life would be in this hands. And they're, they're giving you all these stats and you're looking at the stuff in the books they give you of more deaths and stuff are based off of accidents and somebody else fucking up at what they do, their job. Not paying attention, not not watching somebody six, not you know whatever it is. I could not get that out of my head because I felt like out of my class of like let's say there was a hundred guys in my barracks, there were twenty of us that actually gave a shit or were even remotely intelligent enough to like get through this. These other eighty clowns were like I was like. I don't want my life being in that dude's hands. Like, this guy is an absolute moron. This dude can't tie his own shoelaces. Uh, you know, and, like, hearing stories like that about, you know, why, like, they literally watch it blow up in their hands. And like, oh, I'm going to go shoot that shit. Let's go. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I get it. You need a certain level of that, too, of, like, these guys that just have zero regard, zero fear, and they're just going to go and do it. Cool, I get that. I was in the Navy. <laughs> this wasn't a front line. We weren't Marines. This wasn't the grunts, the pogs. Like, you know, like, I mean, like, I'm like, these guys can't even tie their own shoelaces. Like, how you get past, like, being able to accept, like, my life's in this dude's hands. Like, I get it sometimes. And, I, and, I'm, and I, I get with those lifelong bonds come that, like, hey, we were always there for each other and it's a brotherhood, but like watch some of these guys that literally, I mean, I mean, I'm, I keep saying can't tie their own shoes, but like <laughs> there was a lot of that. I mean, but, I saw guys doing everything they could to get kicked out of the military and didn't want to be there. And I'm like, how are you convincing me that I need to be? Uh, so, I mean, you're talking about the grenade range. Probably the funniest things was everybody who threw a grenade, they stood and wanted to watch it. And the drill sergeant has to grab them and literally pull them down. They're like, oh, how did I throw it? Whoop. I yeah. mean, we were watching because there's plexiglass in the back, and you we're behind there. About, yep. About Where'd 16, you go to basic? Uh, Fort Bliss. I was at Fort Jackson. Oh, okay. But, yeah, that's exactly, and that's what he did. He threw it, and he's like, he's looking, and they're like, the grenade is literally sitting next to his foot. <laughs> and I'm like, and we were all looking like, is he going to get, we wanted to see him get blown up. I mean, was, I was 17. We didn't know the, the, you know, the human value of life at that time. I want to see what happened, but... <laughs> 
And then when it blew up and it was it was loud, but it was just a big M80, and that was the bad part. Cause then everybody, cause we were terrified to throw it at first. But once you seen it was just a bang, you're like, eh, no big deal. Now that's until they take 80, 17, 18 year old kids and start to fire live fire tracers over your head in the recreation of Omaha Beach, and you're crawling through the mud and under barbed wire and all that. Then shit gets a little bit real. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, yeah, this is a little different. And you've already been out on bivouac for three days. And then they start, they wake you up at three o'clock in the morning, throw you in the mud in the marsh, red ants, because we was in South Carolina. And you get on you and you got to crawl from here to there. And you got five happy drill sergeants firing M16s and M50s at you, just smiling. And they say, I dare one of y'all to stand up, because you stand up, you're going to get shot. So, fun times. I, I probably the. So. Based on your scores at the range, if you were expert, you know, whatever. Uh, Certain guys got to fire the law. Back then, we still had the law. Uh, Some guys got to fire the 203. Some guys got to fire the Claymore. I got to fire the Claymore. That is a badass weapon, man. You set it up, and literally, you know, they say, do it three times. I went, it went off. I mean, it was like, it was like, and I'm behind sandbags about, you know, 40 feet behind it. Man, that all the sand just went, and in really big letters on the front, it did says you get a "face fire? towards enemy." Yeah. Don't read that backwards. <laughs> did you get to fire a lot of the missiles that you helped work on the systems? Uh, so it, it, I, I got the. It's a tradition is when you fire the Hawk or the Patriot missile. Uh, for the, it's really cool for the Hawk. It's a little red button that you hit the fire button. And after you fire it, you pull it out and then you wear it on your dog tags, right? So that shows that you fired a real missile, right? Yeah. So I didn't fire the Patriot, but I did fire the Hawk. So that's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, for those of you that have joined us on this very first Rumble podcast, I just want to give you my extreme gratitude and appreciation for joining us tonight, following us as we make this change. We're still going to post on all the stations and channels that you're used to. And we greatly appreciate you jumping over on Rumble with us. Um, If you guys saw my post, I mean, please check out our website, too. It's not 100% done, but I'm tired of saying that it's (laughs) almost done. It's actually live. I'm going to share with you right now. You can go to www.commonsensethepodcast.com. It's up. It's live. We're working on some merchandise and stuff for you guys, so that's going to be out there very soon. Um, If you have a company or a product you would like to promote, go back and look at some of the ones we did in the season one. Um, Ryan Hensley had a show on here. We created a pretty awesome commercial for them that we posted up here um, with his products. If you guys want to be a part of this, you want to have a sponsorship, we are going to offer, you can sponsor a single guest because we have some guests that are going to require us flying them in, putting them up in hotels, stuff like that. These are guests I guarantee you would love to have your name attached to that are big names, speakers, motivational, financial, ex-military, support the military, you know, all these things. If you guys want to support a series of shows or be a monthly participant, reach out to me, send me a DM. We'd be happy to work out something with you and make that happen for you and promote you guys. Over the next year, 
we have a lot of big events planned where we're going to be tying the podcast into some multifamily events, some big trade shows that we're doing. Um, would love to have you guys be a part of that. So if you have interest in that, please reach out to me. Um, it'll be something that we can all work together on. Um, I'm open to promoting and being a brand ambassador. As long as I believe in your product or can be behind that, I'm not saying I will say yes to all of them. Um, we have a couple that we're working with right now. One's a beard company. Um, obviously that fits in very well with the beard. So, you know, stuff like that. If you have something you want to talk about it, I'm open to having the discussion. So please let me know if that's something you're interested in. You can DM me directly or reach out to us on the webpage. But go check out the new website. There'll be a few more changes in the next week or two that you guys will see on there. Hope you guys enjoy that. Um, we're getting towards the end of the first show here, so it's time for us to put Sal through the ringer. Uh, well, well, first, so real quick, how yeah. did this all start? How did this all start? So I tried writing a blog for a little while about my business and the multifamily doing construction. I was too critical of my own writing. <laughs> I did like one or two posts and I just, I kept scrapping everything. I was like, I, I couldn't feel comfortable putting it out there. Then when I became a private member here at Industrial Cigar Company and I was a member of the Atabay Lounge, I got asked to be on what was then Cigars and Guns, uh, uh, Cigar Talk Live. I did two podcasts with them and I fell in love with the format. And then, you know, I didn't really think about a camera being here. I can just sit and talk and we can share great experiences, stories, people can learn from it. And I was like, that's what I want to do. So I put a plan together, I developed it out and we're officially on a full year of doing this now. Like this is officially, we started actually broadcasting shows last September. So this nice. is a full circle of a year of doing one per week most of the time. Every now and then we have a week where we have to drop off. But next week we're going to be on on Tuesday, back on our old time slot, because I have a corporate event I've got to be at on Wednesday, Thursday, and uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or yeah, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So it's not going to work. Same thing with the following week. We're going to be off the week after next just because I have some work travel, but it really came down to, it was conversations with my friends and people I was being introduced to over a cigar, over a bourbon, tequila, some kind of spirit. And I just felt people could gain knowledge from that. And it seemed like a really good format and outlet to do it. Kind of started as a hobby and then I just fell in love with it. And I just, I love doing it. It's funny, about three weeks ago, I completely shit the bed. <laughs> I completely shit the bed. I had to go talk in front of colleagues. Like, we had a business exchange. And I had two minutes that I could have said whatever I wanted to say. And up on a stage, put me here at the mic, all this. <laughs> I'm good. I mean, we can sit and talk all night long. I'm totally fine with that. They put me up there on a stage spotlights, mic, <laughs> man, I almost froze up. I tried to make a joke. 
wasn't going the way I thought it was going to go. <laughs> I literally probably talked for about, I'm going to say 30 seconds. It might have been less than that. And I was just like, you know, it's funny. You can have a podcast. You can do all this. You can sit down and talk. Put me in front of my actual colleagues and tell me I have to get up here and I have to say something. This is so intimidating, staring at a convention center filled with my colleagues and my clients and stuff. Like, I, I froze up. I, I, I mean, I literally, like, I, I had all this stuff planned. I was awake half the night, the night before. Practicing. Thinking about what I was going to say, how it was going to go. I had nothing. I mean, when it came down to it, I couldn't do it. So it goes to show that, like, you got to keep doing that stuff, though. To get better at it, to get good at it, it's practice. It's repetition. You know, that's the first podcast I had, I was nervous as shit. <laughs> I mean, I had, I had scripted questions. I had done all this research, like, my guess. Next. I sent them questions. You, you know, but when you don't let it just happen naturally, it turns into a shit show. So I went into that thing thinking that's what I was going to do. Well, newsflash. For something like that, when it's your peers, that you're naturally going to be more cognizant of how critical you think they are. Reality is, people don't give a shit about you as much as you think they do. <laughs> Half of those people in that room, if not more, could have given three shits what I said. And probably weren't even paying attention. They were waiting for lunch to be served. Yeah, they were waiting to start the actual main program. They wanted that shit to be over. But I got so nervous that I literally froze up, spit some shit out, and got off the stage. Like, I don't even know if our ad had finished running or our, like, little promo thing. Like, literally, I just flew through it and had to get off. But, you know, it's painful for me to go back and watch... <laughs> season one and try to take notes and like what could I do better I always love the really good feedback and criticism that I do get when people DM me or send me questions or comments that's great I've had some great advice I've had things that I really try to take to heart to make me better yeah. you know like interviewing and sitting down with people and having these candid conversations there's an art to it it takes practice so I made a goal for next year that, like, I'm going to try to engage in more speaking opportunities in my industry and do that a little bit more just because I completely shit the bed on this last one. And, you know, for whatever reason, this is easier for me. I think we need a teleprompter over here. Yeah. I, you know what? I think that would be worse. I still wouldn't want that either. But it, it, it's hard, you know, but... This has helped me in so many ways of being able to have better conversations, ask better questions. I mean, with my wife, with my friends, in my job, this has helped me. You know, so it yeah. started out as something as a hobby, something fun, and now it's growing. So, you know, we're, we're really amping up and boosting up our following and everything else. So... I'm excited what year two is going to bring. We're, we're just now crossing that path. So Wow. Yeah, man. It's been cool. And now I'm to the point, too, where people are suggesting and referring people, too, which is really cool. They're like, hey, I think you'd really like so-and-so. I think you'd really get along with so-and-so. You should have so-and-so on your show. And that's turned into some really cool 
opportunities and moments of being able to have those conversations. So I feel blessed. You know, it's, it's a lot of work. We're still learning a lot of things. Like I've been going back and really like trying to modify things, learning how SEOs work and stuff like that. You know, even Miguel's giving me a lot of great advice sitting and talking about certain things with, you know, we have another podcast that we're still really working hard on getting off the ground. It's got a little ways to go, but I'm not going to drop that one till we're like a thousand percent ready. So. <laughs> a thousand percent ready. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll be 110 at least when it drops, but that, that one's going to be a much bigger kickoff to, to pull all the parts that have to be together for that. But enough talking about me and that journey. It's time to ask you the two things that okay. we end every show with. What? Oh, uh, smoke's killing you between oh. those fans and that heat. Normally, it gets me. So, the first one is, if you could leave your children or grandchildren with one piece of advice, what is that piece of advice going to be that you're going to leave them with today? Wow. I don't know. That's a tough one because life is full of so many unexpected challenges, um, surprises. You know, just have a zest for life, right? I, I, I learned it kind of late. I'm being honest. Yeah. I, I learned it kind of late. So I just hope they. They're young, they're ambitious, they want to get to that next goal, that next horizon, right? But I hope they don't miss all the great things that go with it, right? Absolutely. I, I just hope that for them, right? Uh, I, I'm being honest, I missed a lot of it, right? I did. Uh, you know, when I was deployed uh, overseas, you know, I was away from family and friends a lot, you know, though, though I had the military community friends. Yeah. You know. I lost a, a lot of connections with, you know, all my cousins. We were very close growing up in Tucson. Um, and we all went our separate ways, but, you know, a lot of them moved back there. Uh, I did for a short period of time, but it moved out here to Dallas. But I, I just hope they don't lose sight of the values of family and friends and, you know, the people they're with and make the most of it. And just not try to just grind it out. I really don't, man, you know. I missed a lot of that. I'm not being honest. I did. That's great advice now the only other thing we really ask you to do is we have a segment called my two cents you get to give your two cents to the common sense followers on anything you want it can be something you didn't get to say something i didn't ask you something you just want to put out there or it could be just your end of the show words of wisdom words of advice but you can go wherever you'd like with it um I would say, to your point, right? And one of your kids is listening, by the way. Oh. <laughs> a- Angela is on here and just commented. Oh, oh Angela, okay. I, you know what? I, I have to say, do your own research, right? Like you mentioned it earlier. Yeah. You see something on CNN. Oh, my God, we have an issue, right? No, go look at the issue, right? People are going to give their own perspective, their own skew on things. Just do your own research, whether it's finance, uh, life values, you know, issues at hand, politics, whatever. 
go look at the real issues at hand, right? Don't just take everything at face value. Do your own research, right? Uh, nine times out of 10, I'm finding out that, uh, yes, we have this issue and yes, we have this, but there's every, every issue has a side, right? Immigration, yes, you got people that wanna work here and yes, we have laws about immigration. There's gotta be a happy medium, right? Yeah. It's, it's not, you can't come over. There's gotta be a way for people to work here and come over here legally and not be a bunch of red tape, right? I mean, there's gotta be- You can't take them five years to get what they are legally trying to do. Right, I mean, that's my whole thing, right? Every side has two sides to it, right? So don't take one side, look at the other people's perspective, right? Um, I mean, and that's how, if you look at a court case, when people try something, you just can't give your argument. You gotta show a basis why their position, while it's got merit, is not the best, right? each side does have merit, right? So please do your own research, right? Just don't say, oh, we have an issue with immigration, they can't come over. There's, there's issues that could be immigration, finance, you know, whatever, right? Yeah. So do your no, own research. No, I, I agree 100%. We've, we've lost the ability to analyze information, get as much information as you can, and then interpret that how you interpret it and make your own educated decision. You know, be educated. You don't have to have a college degree to do that. You don't have to have all these fancy courses and all this stuff like that. Collect as much information, hear it from more than one source, go and research it to an adequate level that you can make an informed, educated decision. That is what this younger generation is missing so much. They treat the news like it was when we were kids where you had to report factually and you had to have stuff to back up what you were reporting. That's not the world we live in. Information travels too fast. It gets thrown out and regurgitated. And depending on what your source is, you got to sift through that now. Or you got to have your AI bot do it for you. You've got to sift through it you got to try to find more than one outlet. You have to do work. You, you can't just let it come to you. you got to go and do that work, put it all together, pros and cons, left side, right side, positive, negative. Then make your own, your own educated decision. And I agree with you a thousand percent the world would be in a much better place. I, I, you know, some guy says, you know, on the news, hey, we've got this issue, do this and this and this, and you should be angry about this. No, go look at the facts and make your own conjugative decision, right? Yeah. I, that's my only issue I can just tell everybody. Just please do some research. Just because somebody's venting an issue doesn't mean it's your issue, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, Sal, I want to thank you for coming on the show finally, man. It's been great oh, having you on this here. Has been phenomenal. Yeah, great time, great we'll time. have to have you back again soon. Um, everybody, thank you for joining us again next week. We're going to be back at our old time, Tuesdays, 6 to 8. We'll be back with another killer show for you guys. And then we will see you next week. Thank you for joining us. No, thanks. Peace. Peace.